And now, a faux fiction audio production published by Not A Pipe Publishing. Super Guy by Kurt Klopton. Super Guy, the generic alternative. Less superhero hype, same superhero quality. Chapter 19 Oliver cringed. He was falling yet again. This was going to hurt. Not horribly badly, but he knew he was going to feel it and there wasn't anything he could do about it. This was probably the worst part of being a superhero he had discovered so far. For a superhero, a lot of things slow down. They don't literally slow down, but since superheroes can process the activity around them so quickly, it sure seems that way to them. This allows them to react to threatening situations well before any normal person would even realize there was danger. In Oliver's current predicament, he figured a normal person would have time to realize the danger, but probably not much more than enough to blurt out the obligatory, Ugh, crap, before impact. Oliver, however, being a superhero, had what seemed like tons of time during which to decide exactly when he wanted to utter his, oh crap. He opted to say it somewhat early this time, Yes, this wasn't the first time. Maybe so he'd be sure to get it in. Or maybe because it was just as useful to do that than to bother fighting with the controls of the flying machine anymore. The one silver lining in this plummeting cloud for Oliver was the thought that at least this was the last functioning flying machine they had left. Not that it was actually functioning, and he could now be done with all the crashing. Suddenly... The engine sputtered as if it were catching, and Oliver had just enough time to grab the stick in hopes of pulling it out of the dive before it died again, and he and the machine slammed into the ground. Ending up lying on his back, Oliver watched the dust settle around him and a small trail of black smoke begin to rise into the blue sky. Pieces of twisted metal surrounded him with a few reaching upward half-heartedly like the remains of a forest after a tornado has passed through. The quiet moment of utter devastation was broken abruptly by the white smoke hiss of a fire extinguisher as Roger came to the rescue. What did you do? yelled Roger as he sprayed the engine area of the wreck. Crashed. It seems pretty obvious. But you were fine. You were cruising. True, I was, said Oliver, still resting amidst the wreckage. Sadly, the machine realized that too and decided to do something about it. Come on, you can't blame the machine again. It was running perfectly. We gotten everything fixed. Well, obviously not everything said Oliver, getting up and knocking bits of the wreck out of his way. Why don't you just let it burn? Put it out of its misery. Or put me out of its misery. Or is it put it out of my misery? <sighs> Not really sure, but there's heaps of misery here and smoke. No, we can't lose another one completely, said Roger, spraying the ruins a couple more times. He circled around the machine, examining it. The engine is still mostly intact. I can piece something together with the frame of the first one. With the wings of the second and the good engine parts of the fourth. We'll get it in the air again. He nodded at the machine with confidence. 
Oliver walked over to where Roger stood at the engine and proceeded to chop his arm down through the center of the mass of metal. One half of the engine teetered and fell over onto the ground, leaking various fluids. You sure about that? Roger stared at the innards of his flying machine. That's cold, man. I just couldn't stand to see it suffer, said Oliver, turning and walking away. Roger gave the engine one more spray and then followed as Oliver continued talking. I'm done with this piecemeal flying machine crap. It's more accurate to say crashing machine anyway. I haven't even gotten one of these things out of the yard yet. The yard Oliver was referring to was a roughly four-acre open space behind their new headquarters building where they had been test-flying Roger's machines. Oliver stopped abruptly, and Roger almost ran into him. Yeah, that's it. I want the real thing. We've got to find a way to get me the flying component of the serum. All this crap would not be needed if I just got that. Well, it's not free. It's not like these machines. We'll never get it through the warehouse. There's no other way except to pay for it. Well, then I guess we'll just have to find a way to pay for it, said Oliver, walking through the large garage door into the headquarters building. Maybe we can take advantage of my new popularity. We already got this place out of that. I don't think they're going to give us a bunch of money, too. He dropped the fire extinguisher next to the door and hit the button to close it. This didn't cost them anything. It wasn't being used and no one was going to buy it, not in this part of town, replied Oliver, gesturing vaguely at the building around them. He walked inside one of the old offices that had become their control room, in true superhero headquarters parlance, and flopped down on a chair. Roger did the same, but shortly got up to fiddle with some of the new computer and communications equipment he had been setting up in the room. A week had passed since Oliver's fight with the supervillain, now known to be Cyclone in disguise, and a lot had changed. Foremost was Oliver's status in Milwaukee which was directly related to the fight, but the second was the new headquarters. They probably would have gotten the building anyway, since the city owned it but no longer used it, nor had any plans to, but Superguy's sudden immense popularity helped speed things along. There had been plenty of support from the devotees of superheroes before the fight, but they were only a small segment of the population. Oliver's epic battle across the city in front of all those viewers had earned him the respect of an overwhelming majority of Milwaukee inhabitants. There were huge headlines and some glowing editorials in the Milwaukee Times, Herald News Observer, not to mention a record number of positive reader comments on their website, as well as on the city government's official website. Several local television interviews, public appearances, and speaking engagements followed on the heels of the fight, although technically one of the speaking engagements, the address to the Milwaukee Flower and Garden Society, had been arranged beforehand. The interviews and speaking engagements were things Oliver didn't think he would have ever done before becoming a hero, let alone actually enjoy, but now the charisma and confidence that was hot-wired into his brain, thanks to the serum, allowed him to do it without a second thought. He didn't even use notes, preferring to just wing it most of the time. It didn't stop at the local notoriety either. Stormfront had given him a congratulatory phone call because the battle had received national and, in her case, pseudo-international coverage. She even mentioned that Metal and Buffalo were using the publicity of the battle to announce the formation of Gland, since Superguy was one of the founding members. 
The new headquarters was probably the most tangible reward of Oliver's popularity, though, and so far, the most useful. It was an old city maintenance building, mostly used for road repair and snow removal vehicles in its prime, so it had a large amount of indoor parking space, as well as some office space. On the downside, it was located in one of the most run-down and worst crime areas in the city, but that was also a good reason for it to be chosen. Plop a hero right down in the middle of the mess and you get things done much more quickly. That, and nobody else in their right mind, wanted the place. The bulk of the building was simply garage. It was a huge open expanse of ancient cement floor with decades of stains and marks and a high almost three-story ceiling with metal rafters and large dingy yellow skylights. Off to one side was a vehicle maintenance area with two bays equipped with lifts, able to accommodate large vehicles and a bunch of miscellaneous abandoned equipment. On the side opposite the maintenance area were two floors of storage rooms and offices, some of which had barely been looked in by the new occupants and still contained tons of junk from whoever had inhabited the building in the previous decades. The huge garage door they had entered led out to the large fenced yard they now used for testing, and was mirrored by another huge garage door on the front of the building out to the street. Both of these garage doors were large enough to accommodate the oversized vehicles that had originally been stored in the building, but there was a second, standard-sized garage door next to the front one, which made it much less overkill to use when they drove their personal cars inside. Four cars were presently parked on the far side of the floor, just off to the side of that smaller garage door. One was Oliver's new city government Ford Taurus, the replacement for his previously totaled one, and had miraculously appeared at his apartment the day after his victory over Cyclone. It had the additional perk of being dark blue. The second car was the crumpled hunk of metal that had been Oliver's first Taurus. Someone, somewhere, had a sense of humor, and it had been waiting in the garage when they showed up to check out their new headquarters. The third was Roger's new silver Honda Civic Hybrid he had bought immediately after receiving the first check reflecting his raise. The fourth vehicle was Emma's older Jeep Cherokee. It wasn't new like the others, but she had no need for a new car, being happy enough with the location of her new office. Emma had seen the advantages of a new headquarters beyond just what Oliver and Roger were looking for when they requested it. Once she had procured the new site, she had happily moved out of her tiny cubicle in the city government office building and into the garage, as they had come to call it. For her, the move had a few bonuses, one of which was the larger private office, despite how much cleaning she had to do to make it inhabitable. An office opening onto a garage for a few decades wasn't the best option for cleanliness, but it was better than her old cubicle. That tiny rectangle may have been cleaner, but it was still in the city office. Despite Emma's new official position, it didn't keep people from dumping work on her. Everyone knew she was only supposed to be handling Oliver, but since she knew how to do everything else, like travel, equipment requests, and purchase orders, they kept asking her to help them out. Basically, her job had not really changed at all. It had just gotten busier. Knowing it wouldn't end until she was out of sight, Emma jumped ship as soon as she secured the garage from the city. It also had the additional bonus of being a shorter commute from her apartment. 
If she could just get the smell of tires and gas out of the room, it would be perfect. The office area was made up of five rooms on the lower level and four on the second level. The entire structure of rooms sat in the back right half of the main garage space, opposite the vehicle maintenance area, and seemed as if they had been stuck in there as an afterthought. Like somebody had decided to build this two-story structure in the back corner after they figured out they could use things like an office and bathroom in there. Stairs on the end led up to the landing on the second level. The control room, as they had come to calling it, was the first one on the left on the lower level, tucked in the corner against the back wall. Emma's office was the next one over, and the third was filled with all the junk they had emptied out of the first two. The next room was a kitchen break room, and the last room on the lower level next to the stairs was a bathroom with a shower. They had cleaned these last two rooms right away. So far, all of the second floor rooms were unused, but Oliver and Roger already had plans for a major renovation that would give them each living quarters, since neither wanted to bother with commuting to where they would undoubtedly be spending all of their time anyway. Plus, there was no rent, which they both thought was a good thing. Roger had spent the first couple of days in the garage, setting up all the various equipment he had procured from the superhero surplus warehouse, as well as installing and networking a state-of-the-art security system for the building. He hadn't been overly excited about the questionable neighborhood when he first heard about it, even though he'd been working with a superhero, but when he realized he could get a ton of amazing security toys through the warehouse and make the building more secure than any place in the city, he was happy. In the control room was a bank of video monitors on one of the walls, showing various security camera views, in addition to computer monitors displaying the status of other security features like motion detectors, sound detectors, and alarms on every window, door, and skylight. All of these fed into the main computer network, so anyone knowing the right passwords could monitor security from any computer in the building or from other locations, like another office or from home. Roger also put an app on everyone's phones and iPads, so they could monitor from those as well. Oliver didn't know why Roger needed it to be that thorough, but figured it was mostly just because he could. Roger had burrowed under one of the tables in the computer room and appeared to be wrestling with a mess of cables behind another new, obscenely large flat-screen monitor, which Oliver had only noticed now. Is this a new toy? Asked Oliver, leaning forward to examine the monitor. I thought you were done with all this stuff. This is the video communication system? Came Roger's slightly muffled voice from underneath the table. He wiggled his way out and took a seat back in his chair. I had the monitor sitting around extra, but the rest came in the morning. See the camera there? He said, pointing to a small device mounted on the top of the monitor. Smile pretty for that. Anyway, I think it's all ready. We could run a test. Call someone up if you want. Anyone in the group will do, though some will look better in HD than others. Oliver pulled off his gloves and set them on the table. Call someone up? Somehow I'm guessing it's not Creeper you have in mind. I could go all coy on you here. But who are we kidding? Stormfront, of course. Honesty. Huh. I like that you're giving that a try. Alright, then uh, let's call her up. He leaned forward turned the monitor on, and pointed to a keyboard sitting on the table. This keyboard is the shortcut to everything. Each member of the team is assigned one of their function keys. I wrote their names above the key. 
Roger pressed the key labeled Stormfront, and text appeared on the monitor asking him to verify the command to call Stormfront. And when you get that, you just hit return. Roger pressed return, and two windows appeared on the monitor, a larger centered one and a smaller one above it to the left. The smaller one showed the view from their camera on top of the monitor, which at the moment was displaying an extreme close-up of Oliver's nose and upper lip, while the larger window had the words calling, waiting for answer, written across it. Roger looked up from the keyboard and noticed the close-up view of the camera. Oh, let me fix that, he said, and proceeded to tap more keys and click on various things with the mouse arrow. Might be a good idea, said Oliver, just as the larger window switched to a picture showing Stormfront, who was sitting down in front of her camera. She gave an odd look to the screen and hesitantly asked, Oliver? How'd you guess? replied Oliver, as he sneaked a peek at the smaller window on his monitor that still showed his nose, just even closer now. Uh, as you can see, uh, we're still doing a little troubleshooting. You should have seen what the Creeper's camera showed the first time he called me. And the second. I sensed a pattern, so now I take his calls audio only. As she said this, the camera view of her started to change, zooming in slightly. Oh, I didn't know you could do that, said Roger, still working away at the keyboard. Then, the picture of Stormfront zoomed in more to just encircle her face. Whoops, it's a bit touchy. I'll have to keep that in mind if he calls me. Maybe we'll just set that up in the preferences before I even have to deal with it. At least my imagination has me thinking I don't want to wait to make that decision. I wouldn't wait. I'm still nursing some mental scars. You might as well save yourself from those. Suddenly, the picture of her zoomed in a little more, then zoomed back out again to just her face. Oliver took his eyes off the screen and reached over and slapped at Roger's hands. Would you quit screwing around, Rog? And fix my camera. Hers is fine. Then Oliver returned to the conversation with Stormfront. But she was no longer there. Actually, she was, but not her face. Now the camera showed mostly her hair and what Oliver thought might be part of her ear. What'd you do? What? Crap. I didn't do it. You hit my hand. Well, just fix it. Roger tapped several keys and clicked the mouse furiously for a couple of seconds. I lost it. I don't have control anymore. What did you hit? I don't know. I hit your hands. What did you hit? If I knew, I'd fix it, super dork. Is there an owner's manual or something? I don't know. Guys, can I interrupt for a second? Oh, uh, yeah. You know I can see the video too, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. We were trying to fix my video and failed somewhat. Who's we? Oh, that's Roger, my tech support guy. He really wants to meet you sometime. Uh, He's a big fan. Roger took time out from pecking keys to hit Oliver in the shoulder, which he regretted immediately as he yelped slightly in pain. That's nice. Here, I'll do it. With that, the camera view zoomed back out to where it was originally. (sighs) Great, thanks. Hey, how'd she do that? I'm sorry about that. Look, why don't we let you go and we'll get this thing fixed. At least we know it works, besides the human error issues. Sure, no problem. Thanks for the call. It was good seeing you again. Yeah, good good seeing you too, said Oliver. Then he whispered to Roger. Okay, hang up, or whatever it is you do. Roger just cringed at him and shrugged, mouthing, I don't know how. After a few more seconds of grumbling back and forth, Stormfront interrupted them again. Don't worry, guys. I'll do it. 
Just FYI, Command plus D will switch the camera back to the default view in the active window, hit the Tab key to cycle through the different windows, and Command plus W closes the communication. Like this. With that, Stormfront's hands went to her keyboard, and the screen went blank. Oliver sighed and rubbed his forehead. Well, I'd count that as a success. At least up to the standard at which we've become so accustomed. True. I didn't have to break out the fire extinguisher. So... Any other new things on the agenda? Now that you mention it, I have two new things for you. Well, one of them isn't new at all, but it's new to you, he said, stepping over to a shelf and grabbing something. He returned and set a Snickers down on the table in front of Oliver. Found that inside the old candy machine in the break room. It has to be at least 20 years old. Dare you. Okay, shrugged Oliver, picking up the candy bar and unwrapping it. So this is one of the things... What's the other? He started eating the Snickers. It was about the tenth old thing they'd found in the place that Oliver had eaten. The first time, he had done it to gross out Roger, but it had come back to haunt him with Roger daring him to eat anything he found that could even slightly be construed as food. The point was, since Oliver wasn't susceptible to food poisoning, it was funny to see the looks on other people's faces when he ate something utterly grotesque. It was a lot of fun around Emma. Oh, the other thing is a really cool one, said Roger. He pulled a sheet of paper off the printer and handed it to Oliver. Probably more cool now that we're out of the flying machine business. What is that? A missile? No, it's a small submarine. A mini-sub. In complete working order. That means I don't have to fix it up at all. He looked adoringly down at the picture over Oliver's shoulder, almost as if he were showing a photo of his newborn child. Yes, it's perfect. I don't know why I didn't think of it before, but moving here to the new headquarters only blocks away from the lake was a kick in the pants. I was looking at all these boats on the water as I was driving here and thought we should have something as well. There's undoubtedly going to be some point at which you'll need to do something on the lake. So I checked out the warehouse to see what there was. I was looking for a speedboat at first, but when I saw this baby, I jumped at it. I couldn't believe we could get one. But I suppose they aren't in as much demand as other vehicles since not everybody's on the water. Plus, it's cool. A mini-sub. Don't you love it? Sure, it's great. I just don't know how much I'll use it. Who knows? If not for fighting crime, at least we can cruise around in it. Maybe water ski. It's more than fast enough. Being a superhero quality type of mini-sub. Oh, and until we find some way to get you flying, it's easily the fastest way to get to Thunder Bay if you were ever wanting to go up that way. That is a bonus. Is it here yet? Will be tomorrow. I arranged for it to be tied up down at the police dock. They'll look after it and everything. They weren't too excited about having another thing to take care of, but when they found out what it was, they didn't mind. Everyone likes a new toy, especially a mini-sub. And does it shoot stuff or anything? Oh yeah, it's a bond car for water, baby. Nice, now we're talking, said Oliver with a nod and a smile. There was a light knock on the door, and Emma entered. Sorry to interrupt, but the police chief called and wants to meet with you. He says he has new information. Will this be a super secret meeting? Perhaps on the top of a skyscraper in the middle of the night? Or under a pier down at the docks? Or at least the parking garage again? But only in the middle of the night. Actually, he said to come by his house after six. He should be home by then. Not exactly the middle of the night, but it might be getting close to twilight by then, if that helps. He did say to make sure that you come to the back door, though, so no one sees you visiting. 
I doubt that has as much to do with your super secret thing as it does with property values or his reputation in the neighborhood. You know, not consorting with young men dressed in questionably tight clothing and all that. He also said, and I quote, My wife will probably insist you stay for dinner, so be ready for that. And by ready, I mean with an excuse. You're not staying. End quote. Cute, isn't he? Oh, ever so much. You have been listening to Super Guy by Kurt Klopton, a faux fiction audio production published by Not A Pipe Publishing. Look for the sequel to Super Guy coming this September. This recording, characters, and the situations within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. If you wish to listen to more episodes in advance, search patreon.com, then faux fiction audio, and sign up to be a monthly patron. Or stay tuned until the next week for your free episode. We will see you then.